You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. I know there's at least two people in this room who I've taught at school who have already seen that, so hope you enjoyed seeing that again. Um, why did I show you that video? Uh, well, it's, I think it's a little bit obvious, right? Whenever you observe that and you see things that are about our size, um, you can kind of relate with that. However, the problem is whenever things get a little bit too big, our minds begin to shut down and melt. Isn't that right? And so uh, I, I, the reason that I wanted to share this with us today is primarily because it's going to be used to kind of give us a different perspective, perspective on the universe, so that whenever we see things that David is saying, we will be able to think about some of the things that we just saw. David didn't have any of the knowledge that we have about how big the universe actually is. And if you notice there at the end, it kind of ended with what? What did it say? Observable. Like, there's still more. Uh, the universe is such a vast, amazing work of God, and it points to his greatness and his power. And we're going to see that in Psalm 19. I think it's just amazing that Psalm 19 is, uh, is crafted from the pen of David, and he has these wondrous thoughts about what God has done in creation, and yet he didn't have videos or Hubble Space images or any of the things that we have today. He just had the night sky. And yet he was blown away with what God did and does in his world. But then as we'll also see, he's blown away with God does what God does and uses in his word. I'm going to go ahead and put this up here as I continue to kind of introduce things, just because I know that whenever Adam throws up a long summary sentence, it feels like I never have enough time. So uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about this just in a second. But for those that are writing, it'll kind of give you a head start and what we're trying to accomplish today. So it, you might ask the question, why are we not moving forward in John? We've been in John for the last couple of months. Um, Adam is on vacation this week. So why not move forward in John? Well, I thought about it at the beginning. Uh, I thought about that possibility. But then in my normal quiet time with my uh, devotion, the, the next reading on a particular day was Psalm 19, and I was just reading as normally. And I ran across it, and I read it, and I was just reminded of these great truths about God's world and his word. And I thought, well, maybe this could be something that I teach on the Sunday that Adam's gone. And then I started thinking, well, that's, maybe not. It's a psalm. I've never taught through a psalm, and it has nothing to do with John. Well, then I saw it on an Instagram post a couple, a couple days later. Then I heard it on the radio. I've seen it and heard it everywhere over the last couple of weeks. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'll go forward with Psalm 19, even though I'd it's just going to have to be a standalone. I don't know what kind of connection that I'm going to be able to make with what we're studying in John. And then I sat here last week on the front row down here as Adam uh, poured forth the word about Jesus' claims to be the bread of life and his call for us to feast on him. And it hit me. I was like, wow, the Lord has really been directing me to this. I even wrote down in my notes, because Adam was saying, don't labor for the food that perishes. Jesus was talking about truly feast on what's most valuable. And I wrote down in my notes, I will only be able to truly feast on the bread of life, feast on Christ and his word. If my adjustment or my perspective is adjusted to sense what's truly valuable, and, and I need help with that because I'm a human and I'm sinful. I need help with determining and, 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 and calling my gaze upward. And then I was like, that's it, Psalm 19. That's, that's one of its purposes, is to simply to call us to look up and to look in. Also, uh, the Psalms have a unique ability to be able to speak to us in ways that narrative doesn't. Right now, we're in narrative. It's the story of Jesus. Uh, Genesis through Leviticus, even Joshua and Judges, they're all narrative. They're stories, and we all love that. We all get it. We can easily understand what it means when somebody went over here and this person said something to so-and-so. Uh, we, we get stories. More challenging is the things that we find in the New Testament, like it's called discourse, where Paul is just like arguing. He's like, if this is this, then that equals this, and there's a lot of logic involved. And many of your brains in this room work best with things like that, and you love the New Testament letters because it's not a story. It's just straightforward logic. But then there's some of you in the room as well whose brains operate in a more creative, artistic way. Um, and that's what the Psalms give us. The Psalms are able to describe something with symbolism in, in, in a way that normal discourse or story doesn't quite ever get to do. If, in fact, if I was trying to say something very logical and I said, you know, the, the rocks, they, you know, they cry out. They do. The rocks cry out. They say something. You'd, you'd have reason to look at me and say, no, they don't. What are you talking about? 
But if in the spirit of a poem, I talk about how the rocks are crying out, praise to God, well, I may not even really understand what that means, but it's okay. That poem allows me to get out of my normal ways of thinking and to be able to think and meditate on something differently. And so I think that that's the beauty of a poem. And so we're just going to insert a little Psalm 19 in the midst of our narrative of John. And it's not actually too far from what we've already experienced because now Jesus is actually transitioning in the narrative to using symbolism. All of a sudden it's Jesus was here and he went over here and he said this. And now he says, hey guys, I'm the bread of life. Well, he's not literally the bread. He's symbolizing something. He's meaning, he's using poems and symbolism to express something. So let's, let's talk uh, about the summary sentence really quickly. God has handcrafted, I use that word on purpose and I'll explain why in a second, handcrafted both the sky above our heads and the Bible in our hands to reveal his glory and grace and increase our joy and trust in him. So we would do well to meditate on both in our daily fight for faith. For kids, God gave us his world and his word to know him and to trust him. Uh, Psalm 19, I thought was a really important psalm. Then I came across this and kind of got a little nervous. This is the great C.S. Lewis, 1958, says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. When I ran across that, I was like, great. I picked like C.S. Lewis's most favorite psalm that he thinks is the most important. How in the world am I going to be able to do this justice? The good news is that I'm not. Uh, But the Lord's word will speak for itself. So, Let's read Psalm 19 really quickly, and then we'll move forward through it section by section. Not quite verse by verse, but section by section, okay? So if you have your Bibles, leave it open. I'll direct your attention to other scriptures later. Uh, You don't have to necessarily uh, flip there because I'll be moving too fast. But definitely leave it on Psalm 19 because we'll keep coming back to it, okay? Psalm 19 to the choir master, a psalm of David. I actually have a little note here that says, this is so good. Okay, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy." Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. O let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you'll pray with me real quick. Father, We enter this time where we've just read your word. We see that there's a lot here that's said about your word and about your world. God, I pray that you would give me wisdom and clarity and the ability to speak. But God, I pray that you would help me rest and all of us rest in the the effectiveness of your words and not mine. And God, we pray that you would be glorified and honored. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first first here in our notes uh, is your first note. Um is look up and behold the glory of God revealed in creation. Now, if you'll notice, not on the screen, but in your notes, if you got a copy in the back, if you don't, you go grab one. I put something before look up. I put self, comma, look up. Why did I do that? Any guesses? Self, look up. Why? Yeah, because we need help. We need help and we need reminders. And primarily, I was studying this for me when I was studying it. And I said, you know what, self? You need to look up. You need to look up and behold the glory of God revealed in creation. So I put them in your notes in this way so that when you come back to this, if you do, they will be directed directly to your heart. Self, look up. Behold the glory of God revealed in creation. For kids, look up to the sky 
and praise God for his beautiful world. Uh, Listen to this quote from Matthew Henry that I ran across. It's really neat. It says, man has an advantage over the animals in in the structure of his body. Whereas they were made to look downwards, as their spirits must go, man is made standing to look upwards, because upward his spirit must shortly go, and his thoughts should now rise. Did you hear what he said? We have an advantage over animals, even in the posture of our bodies. Animals are meant on all fours, for the most part, looking out and down, whereas man is created standing upright with the ability to look up. It's in our very posture to look up. I was talking to Marcus about this, and he said that him and Renee visited a zoo where they put the platform above the zoo animals up, and they did that in an effort to keep the animals calm and not to spook them because they, des- they were described on signs and, and whatnot that the animals primarily look out and down, and so they wouldn't look up and see the people and be nervous about them, whereas you stand in front of them behind glass, they can get a little fidgety. Again, that's just another example of the fact that our very posture is different from animals. We're meant to look up. A few ways that society is combating this today is that our society is mainly looking, uh, telling us to look out to other people for acceptance, uh, to look around for satisfaction and all the things around us, uh, to look inside of ourselves for meaning, um, and then even now, and I'm guilty of this too, look down for distraction. And what I meant by that is like literally pull out your phone or your device and look down all the time. Spend your days looking down. And I know it's a sign of the times. It's not bad or it's not sin, but I can see a difference walking downtown Atlanta like we did a couple of weeks ago than I did years ago when cell phones weren't that popular. I guess not popular, but readily available. Everybody downtown Atlanta now is walking like this. No one is walking looking up, right? This is, this is something of the times. We want to look up and behold the glory of God revealed in creation. First, uh, God's glory is universally seen in the heavenly host. I think that's in your notes. Is that right? Okay, good. God's glory is universally seen in the heavenly host. Verse 1 of Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The word declare means to recount or to tell or to, to, to literally Declare there, proclaim means to announce. So the heavens are declaring something about God's glory. And the sky above is proclaiming his handiworks. Now as a woodworker, I like the the, the word handcrafted or handmade. These are God's handiworks, the works of his fingers. What are they declaring? Well, the heavens are declaring, one, that he is glorious in size and power and wisdom and beauty and goodness. How? Through his handiworks. Now, look, I I picked this picture on purpose. This is the night sky, and I'm sure enough you can't really see it, and that's great. helps my point. This is Georgia's night sky, and the stars are really beautiful on a clear night, except if you're around Peachtree City or Atlanta area, you don't see that many. And there they are. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. They are. But whenever I read passages in Genesis where God's like taking Abraham out and says, count the stars, I'm like, well, I mean, given enough time, I actually kind of could. I probably could. Like, I mean, I could start in this corner and start counting them. But I was just curious. This was actually taken in Smyrna, according to Google. But I found this. This is not a, a, a manufactured picture. This is a picture from a certain place in Israel today. You can see from Israel, you've got a little bit more stars to look at, right? Uh, in fact, there's the Milky Way. You can kind of see that cloudy band right there in the picture. You don't need a telescope to see that. I've never seen it in my real life. Maybe someone in this room actually has. Maybe you've been somewhere on top of a mountain or somewhere in a clear place without light pollution where you've actually seen this band. But it, this is probably the sky that David was at least more likely looking at when he says, wow, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. So we get this. He gets this. Okay, But we'll get him back here in a second. Why? Well, Uh, Actually, let me pull this back and read you a psalm that he writes in Psalm 8. Not this one, this one. Look at this, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
David looks at that and says, wow, what is, who am I? I'm so small in comparison to that. The works of his fingers. Now, this is where we get David back. Uh, he might have outdone us here, but we're going to get him back because nowadays we have things like the Hubble telescope, which tells us whenever we point it directly at some of those beams of light, we get things like this. This isn't made by somebody on a computer. I pulled this right off of Hubble's website. This was an actual picture of some type of cloud nebula. I don't understand it. I do know that it's three light years tall. So, you know, travel the speed of light for an entire year, or three years actually, you get to one end of it. It's a nebula. Here's another nebula. Some of the, the, the finger works of God, the finger paintings of God. Here's an entire galaxy. Right, galaxies, as you saw in the scale of the universe video, that are hundreds of thousands of light years wide. Here's another picture of beauty. Right? I don't even know what to call it. It's a bunch of stars and constellations in there with some dust and gas. But it looks like finger painting to me. This is God's finger painting. I really like this one. Looks like an eye. I know some of our kids in the room have never seen pictures like this, maybe. I know, I know my kids haven't because I haven't stopped and told them to look up like I'm doing right now. These are the finger works of God. Uh, Job has a similar experience in the book of Job. I'm going to read just uh, a, a God's response to Job. Job is questioning his suffering. God, what are you doing? Why are you doing these things? And God never tells him why. God just tells him, hold on and let me show you what I'm doing. And I think that it's going to lead you to trust me. He says this, Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Or can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Job, can you send forth your lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Or who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? It is clear that the heavens declare that he is glorious in size, power, wisdom, beauty, and goodness. God's glory is universally seen in the things that are made. But the heavens are also providing knowledge that we are not alone and that there is a God. Look at verse 2. Heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. This pours out word is like gushing out, like a, like a, uh, a thing in the water, in the ground, whatever that's called. What is that called? A thing, a spring, a spring of water. Yeah, you go, and not a fire hydrant. But yeah, yeah, I guess so too. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Here's a quote from a commentator. If God had not placed the stars in the night sky, the blackness of night would have communicated powerfully to all humanity, ancient and modern, that there is nothing and no one out there. But with those stars, that image that David gets, you definitely recognize there is someone out there. Romans one twenty says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. Point two, not only is it seen in the heavenly host, God's glory is heard around the world but without words. God's glory is heard around the world. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Verse three, but there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now there's two ways to read this. The first one in the NASB is the most literal and it says there is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Meaning, God is communicating some really amazing, powerful, loud things about his glory through the things that he's made. But at the same time, there's not any words going on. It's just silent. The second way to read this, which the ESV kind of uh, sheds a little bit into the inflection of the way that the words are used, is there, 
nor their words whose voice is not heard. So there's, not, there's, no, there's no speech, there's no people group, there's no language group around the world who doesn't hear at least what God is doing and declaring in the sky. Their message is universal and it extends to everyone. In fact, Psalm 19 is what Paul quotes in Romans 10 when he says, hey, we're going to go tell the gospel. We're going to pr- preach the gospel so that they can hear. And he says, by the way, they've already heard. Their voice is gone out. Their line has been stretched across the world. He quotes 19 here in verse 3. The wrath of God, Romans 1, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. God has made, or because of which is known about God, is evident within them. God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen in what has been made, so they are without excuse. Okay, some of you guys in the discussion groups were talking about general revelation. That's right. I heard many of you nail it. General revelation is what God has told us about himself that he gives to all people at all times and all places that communicates something about his glory. The problem is it doesn't lead to salvation. It leads to humility for sure and, and, and an acceptance and a love for someone out there that's big and powerful and mighty, but it doesn't really tell us anything about Jesus. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, here's a quote that I actually laughed out loud when I read uh, in one of the commentators. It said, A scientist who lives by his faith in the power of reason, his story ends kind of like a bad dream. He scales the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. The quote that this is describing is people in their reason trying to figure this stuff out when they finally reach over the the tallest peak of ignorance and they look over, there's theologians like chilling in lawn chairs being like, hey, welcome. (laughs) We've been here. This is what God has communicated and he's made it clear in his word. Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Point three, but God's glory is also reflected by our son as it works with joy. That's your third point in the notes. David is looking at the skies and the stars above and then he stops and pauses and starts to talk about our star, which is the sun. Verse four, he says, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising as from the end of the heavens, it's circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. I gotta be honest, I was tracking in Psalm 19 until I got to this part. I was like, son, bridegroom, runner, what? What is going on? What is, what is David talking about? But here's something that's really, really amazing about thinking about what David's observing. David's looking up into the night sky, he sees the stars, and in the morning, he sees the sun coming out from over the horizon, and it's beaming, and he says, the sun, God's glory. You know what that's like? The sun's coming out like a bridegroom or like a guy that's about to be married, bursting out of the doors, being like, I'm getting married. Right? This is like me and Dave in the side room a couple weeks ago. It's time, it's one o'clock, time to go. We burst out of that door and Dave's beaming. Right? I'm getting married. Right? The sun is just, David is drawn up to see this joy that the sun is carrying out its function that God's created, but it's doing it with happiness, and joy, and certainly he also mentions like a strong man running its course with joy. Like an athlete rounding that last corner, the sun's beaming out, running, like there's the finish line, and this is awesome. Now, I don't run and think things like that, but David might have, and that's why he thought about that. He is beaming in joy. This is what we see from his perspective. But I thought that this, that brought to mind how different that sounds from the book of Ecclesiastes. If it was written by Solomon, which is his son, think about what's changed just in one generation here, regardless if it was or if it wasn't. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hastens back to its place and rises again. This guy's looking out at his creation saying, ugh, vanity. Sun's up, sun down, sun up, sun down. Work, 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 work. And David's out there on the hillside somewhere saying, the sun, it's rising again. Look at it beaming with joy that it's created and doing what God created it to do. There's a difference there, and I think that sometimes I'm more like the writer of Ecclesiastes. 
David says, no, yeah, you're right, day after day, but it's day after day. They're pouring forth speech, but without words. Verse six, it's rising from the end of the heavens, it's circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. David rightly observes that there's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. He's looking out. I want you to place yourself in where he's at. Maybe he's on a hill. Maybe he's on top of his palace or something. He just saw the night sky. He's seeing the sunrise, or maybe it's reverse, and he's seeing the sunset. And his gaze is directed down to the sun. He says, wow, look at the joy. Look at the, the happiness of the sun. And he says, man, you know that thing is hot. And there's nothing, nowhere, that's not impacted by its heat. And I think that that's why in the very next line, he starts talking about God's word. He's going to say, look at the sun. Look at how it points to God's glory. God is awesome. This is happy. This is joyful. And man, it's hot, and it reaches everywhere. And oh, that's like the Bible. That's like the scriptures. And we'll get to that in just a second. Here's my note that I made here. We have so much more sky revelation than David did. Let's allow it to serve our joy in God. Look at this. Same thing, another picture from Israel, still very impressive. David had this. We have this, okay? David has this sky revelation. We have this sky revelation. We have so much more. So the implication here is, am I taking the time to meditate on God's creative works and allow them to move me towards joyful worship? I mean, think about all that God has provided for us in in the knowledge that he's given men to, and women to create telescopes and, and to look out and see. Are we, are we even using that to serve our joy? David was. He was content looking up. At least his posture was right. And he's calling us to take that same posture. But we've got so much more. So let's take the time to meditate on God's creative works and allow them to move us towards joyful worship. Again, you don't have to nail that uh, word for word. Uh, and these will be in the Google Drive folder later. Um, but for the sake of time, I need to go, uh, go on. Like I said, he looks at the sun, says, nothing is hidden from its heat. And he says, ah, that reminds me of the word of God. So instead of looking up, or in addition to looking up, I should say, self, look in. Look in to the word and receive life, wisdom, and reward. For kids, read the Bible and thank God for his amazing word. Read the Bible and thank God for his amazing word. Now, side note, I had to spend a few minutes on a grammar website trying to figure out if it's look into or look in to. I still don't know if I got it right, but I think that this is right. Look up and look in. Look where? Look to. Okay, so not look into, but look in to the word and receive from it something. Life, wisdom, and reward. Self, look into the word and receive. Point one. The word of the Lord is highly effective. The word of the Lord is highly effective. Now, here's what's neat. While the heavens provide us general revelation about God and creation, the scriptures provide a special revelation about Yahweh's character. I don't know if you've noticed this because I didn't until like a couple days ago. I'd already been reading it for weeks. The heavens declare the glory of God. In Hebrew, that's just the, the word Elohim. It's not even the full Elohim. It's just E-L. The heavens declare the glory of God. But what changes in verse 7 and beyond? What changes? Do you see it? Does it say the word of God? What does it say? Verse 7. Of the Lord. Right. Exactly. El is a general term for God in verse 1, but of the Lord in six times in repetition. It's revealing to us that character, uh, that covenant-keeping character of God, the, the name that he revealed to Moses. Of the Lord. This is where special revelation is starting to take its place. Six times. We're going to know where this special revelation comes from. The source is in the Lord. The, the, the song or poem that I posted on the realm last night, the heavens declare thy glory, Lord, and every star thy wisdom shines. But when our eyes behold thy word, we read thy name in fairer lines. The word of the Lord is highly effective. Kids, the Bible is perfect and will always teach us the truth. I put that in your kids' notes. The Bible's perfect and will always teach us the truth. Let's look at these six titles real quick. So look at your scripture. I want you to actually look at your page, and we're going to direct our attention to six titles. The titles, we're going to move straight down. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, 
the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. Six titles. Then six characteristics. What's true about them? Uh, It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. And then six effects. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices our hearts. It enlightens our eyes. It endures forever. And it shows us what righteousness is. So we're not going to obviously take these one by one because we'd be here all day if I did. But I'm just going to hit it briefly. I'm going to hit it briefly. Verse 6, the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives our souls. This word perfect means complete and whole. It doesn't necessarily mean the same as sometimes we think of as like without a defect. We're going to get to that later when it talks about his, Lord, his word being pure. This is, his word is complete. It's whole. Second Timothy, Paul mentions, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, effective, useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is complete. It provides everything that we need. It's whole. It's highly useful and effective for our lives, but even more so for our souls. And that's what's really important here that I love to learn when I got to this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Revive means to convert. So we could also read it to say the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And many of us in here in this room who have been converted to Jesus may know this to be true. Maybe there was a time where you were listening to a sermon and there was a particular word of God, specifically a scripture, that was the light bulb for you, where you went from death to darkness, or from darkness to light. Maybe there was a sermon where they were unpacking the truths of scripture and you went from death to life. It converts the soul. The world may give knowledge of God's existence, but the word actually gives us spiritual life. That's why Romans 1, Paul talks about the gospel being the power of God to salvation. There are tons of stories of how people are saved by the word and through the word. Psalm 119, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life, the writer of Psalm 119 says. Which, by the way, side note, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, very, very similar. Psalm 19 is like a small condensed version of the longest psalm in the Bible, which is Psalm 119. It's very long. It's very awesome. It's divided up into little eight-verse sections. But also the word revive can mean to bring back or to restore. Maybe you're someone that has been converted and was converted a couple of years ago or a long time ago, but you've fallen into places of darkness or despair. The word of God gives us power for our souls. It revives us to be able to come back, to bring us back, to restore. He restores my soul, David says in Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When we fail in sin, his word will bring us back. David, again, don't, don't leave him on that hillside. Remember where he's at. The stars, the sun, oh, it's like a bridegroom. It's like a runner. It's heat goes everywhere. Oh, the word, which is perfect and gives me life. It restores my soul. Verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, testimony is, is in reference to his self-revelation. These, these words of the scriptures actually give testimony to God. This is the special revelation we need. Sure, which means they are completely reliable and trustworthy. They're sufficient. We can trust in them. Listen to Psalm 111. The works of his hands are faithful and just, All his precepts are trustworthy and sure. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Now, if you're looking at what I'm looking at, and I know you're not, you would see immediate connection with those words. The works of his hands, established forever. Sounds a lot like what he was just referencing to like the sky. The works of his hands, the finger works of God are established forever. And he brings it down into the psalm and says, the works of his fingers, here in these words, they're established forever. What's the effect? It makes wise the simple. Making wise, Psalm 119. Again, the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So maybe it actually gives you the wisdom that you need to make a decision in your day-to-day life. Of course it does. And of course it can. The ultimate way that the scriptures bring about wisdom is wisdom that leads to salvation. Listen to 2 Timothy. 
But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So again, we know that the word has the power to convert, but it does so by bringing about wisdom that leads to salvation. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart. These words precepts are like doctrines or teachings. They're right. And this word right doesn't necessarily mean like it's the opposite of wrong. It means they're right, like they're straight. They're not crooked. They're going to provide me clarity about where to, where to go, where to walk. It's like Psalm 119 says, it's a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. It actually literally shines forth uh, where I'm supposed to go. Listen to these other passages from Psalm 119. Your testimonies are my heritage forever and they are the joy of my heart. That's what verse 8 says. The precepts of the Lord are right, and that actually rejoices our heart. He says, they're the joy of my heart. Again, he says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in all of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Really? I gotta be honest. Sometimes I'm not like, most days I'm not like that. You tell me to go outside with a shovel and dig around because I might find gold, I'm not gonna do it. But if you go out there and say, hey, ding, ding, you hear that? There's treasure here. Dig it up. And I dig it up, and it's there, and it's like some hidden treasure. I'm going to be pretty excited about that. David says, yeah, that's exciting. You know what's more exciting? God's Word. God's Word's more exciting. I'm not in a spot all the time where that's true. But thankfully, His Word changes us, and we'll see, becomes the desire of our heart, and will enlighten our eyes to see it. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy, the delight of my heart, says Jeremiah. The one who knows the word of God and the God of the word rejoices. They find joy, actual pleasure in the truth of God and the relationship with God revealed in his word. Look at verse 8. The commandments of the Lord are pure, and they enlighten our eyes. Now here's where pure pulls in that idea of without defect. Pure uh, not only includes without defect, but they're clear. His commandments are clear. They're not opaque. It's without darkness. Now, I want you to stop and remember, when David is talking about how awesome the word is, he's not talking about this right here. I mean, he is, but he's only talking about maybe like this. That's all he's got. We have so much more. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways, he says in 119.15. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, verse 9 The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord. Now we see this in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is meant to say, hey, when you fear God or when you reverence God, it actually leads to wisdom. But here it's actually a title of the Bible, of the scriptures. What are they called? The fear of the Lord. So you can fear the Lord, how? Through the fear of the Lord, through the scriptures. And the fear of the Lord is clean, they're clear, enduring forever. It never fades, never corrodes, which leads to him to say in Psalm 119, the sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Lastly, verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Very simply, he says, hey, they have the final verdict on everything. They're true, and they're righteous altogether. I know what righteousness is by looking at your word. So the law is holy, Romans 7 says, And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I hope you saw in that section that the word of the Lord is highly effective. And I heard some of you talking in your discussion groups about the way the word has ministered to your life. It's highly effective for our lives. But in this next section, number two, the word of the Lord is highly valuable. Now again, this battles against my own perspective of true value. You tell me the story about some guy finding treasure. I'm like, wow, that's exciting. Tell me about, go have my quiet time, I'm not going to correlate the two and compare them and say, oh, quiet time's better. I struggle with this. But David here in the psalm, he says, look at the sun. Look at how awesome the stars are. Oh, that reminds me of God's word. And oh, that's so perfect for my life. It gives me life. It gives me wisdom. And it lightens my eyes. And man, they're valuable. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Kids, I put in your notes, the Bible is worth more than anything in the world. Anything, rubies, diamonds, gold, silver. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey 
in drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 11, moreover, in addition to that, by them your servants warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So there's a joy connection here that he just made. Remember when he was like looking at the sun and he wasn't like, oh, there's the sun doing its thing. He's like, there's the sun and it's doing its thing. Same thing. He looks at the Bible and he's like, there's the Bible and it does its thing. He's like, there's the Bible. There's the scriptures and it has its work in my life. It's effective and man, that is valuable. I know I don't see this all the time, but we can pray that it's the case. Jesus, in fact, told us last week through Adam's message that we're to not labor for the things that are just here, man's food. Labor for the food that doesn't perish. There's something more valuable, far greater in value than today's food or today's gold. And it's the very word of life. It's the words of the scripture, but it's the word of God that the scriptures are pointing to. Jesus himself. Listen to Psalm 119. Again, very quick. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey. Another place, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Another place, the law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand gold or silver pieces. Another place, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Okay, so David wasn't just having like a really good day in Psalm 19 and was like, man, this stuff is so great, it's better than gold. No, you look across the rest of the Psalms, it's a consistent theme. People come to see the value here. Their perspective is adjusted. But lest you be discouraged today if you don't feel the same way, we also find plenty of places in the Psalms where they pray things like this. Psalm 119.37, Turn my eyes, O Lord, from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life. So maybe that's where you and you can join me in being there. Maybe you do have this relationship with God through his word where you're like, this is better than gold. Maybe you're struggling with that this morning. But here's a prayer for us right here. God, turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Will we trust him? Matthew Henry says, gold is for the body and the concerns of time, but this grace is for the soul and the concerns of eternity. So if you remember, let me take your mind back to the section on the sky. David had a lot more world, uh, uh, we have a lot more world revelation than David did. Here, we also have much more word revelation than David did. So let's allow it to increase our love for God and adjust our perspective on who is most valuable. Look at this. I kind of edited this. Uh, David maybe had this. And when I say maybe, maybe not that one because that was his like great-grandma. I don't know if it was written yet. Uh, Maybe just a couple of Psalms. Definitely not the rest of it because he wrote 75% of it. This is what David had. This is what we have. See the difference? Don't get distracted by the number 70. There are 66 books in the Bible, but they actually break Psalms up into five because there are actually five books of the Psalms in Psalms. So we have all of these and we count it as one. This spreads it out. But either way, the point is very clear, right? Just like the sky picture, David had this, we have the galaxy. Well, David has this and we have this. So the implication is the same. Am I taking the time to meditate on God's word and allow it to move me towards humble dependence. The last one says, am I taking time to meditate on God's world and allowing it to move me towards joyful worship? This should lead us to a type of humble dependence. Why did I choose the word dependence? Well, because we just studied, what does the word do for us? Everything. So we need to depend on him. Why humility? Because we recognize we can't do those things for ourselves. We cannot produce the wisdom that we need or the life that we need. God's word gives us that. We're making good time. That's good. Take a breath. We've made it through two parts. But what we see in Psalm 19 is that it's, there's this other section too. And I'm going to connect it in a way that I think that the, the psalm is teaching. It's not as clear as it says. But putting ourselves back in David's shoes He looks at the sky, he looks at the sun, and it draws his attention to the Bible. And then as he's looking at the word and he's thinking about it, it automatically reveals something about himself, something that he doesn't like, something that he needs help with. He just said, man, the law of the Lord is pure. It's true. It's sure. It's good. It's right. And man, I'm not. I'm not. That's like a direct contrast to me. So number three, lean. Lean. 
I haven't put it. I haven't put it in a talus for you to lean in to the Lord and trust in his salvation. For kids, confess your sins to God and then trust him to forgive you. Lean into the Lord and trust in his salvation. I think that this is, a, again, I put self there so that when you come back to this, you could say, hey, I'm, I'm going through something. I'm really challenged by my storm that I'm going through, like we've been studying in John, whether it's because of my sin or because of my circumstances. I need a perspective adjustment. What should I do? Hey, look up. Look in. And then when those things work together to produce what it's going to produce in you, lean in. Don't run away from God. Lean into him. Lean into the Lord and trust in his salvation. For kids, confess your sins. Trust him to forgive you. Slide one. God's glory will expose my sin, which will lead me to humility. So lean into the Lord and trust in his salvation. God's glory exposes my sin, and it leads me to humility. Look at verse 12. He had just said in verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Verse 12, oh, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. What we just read about is like purity, clarity, perfection. And David's like error, fault, sin. Looks at himself, compares himself to the word. I'm not measuring up. And that's a, that's a good effect that the word has on our life. David is immediately reminded of his own sin. But watch this. He's yearning for the powerful word to work like God's powerful son. What is he, what, what is he asking right here? He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. In your discussion groups, you might have talked about this. Hidden faults are not necessarily things that you do in secret. That's going to fall in line more with a presumptuous sin, a sin that you do and you know it's sin. A hidden sin is just, you're sinning sometimes, you don't even know you're doing it because of ignorance, because you forgot something. David's like, God, I know, I'm looking at your word, and it's awesome, and it's joyful, and it's rewarding. But, oh, man, it's, it's perfect, and I'm not. But I know that there are ways in which I'm failing that are hidden. But just like the sun shines, and there's nothing hidden from its heat, God, would you shine into my soul and declare me innocent from these hidden faults? This is very similar to actually Job's response. I read you all that pass about Job, showed you the Pleiades, the Orion. God's like, can you do that, Job? Can you do this? And he goes actually on for like three more chapters. Can you provide the food for the eagle? Can you lead this animal? Can you do this? No, 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 no. Finally, Job gets a chance to speak. And you know what he says? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. It's a very appropriate response to the glory of God in creation. God, you're right, I see it, and I repent. David says the same thing. Look at the stars and the sky and the sun and the word, and I'm not measuring up. But God, I'm leaning in. I'm asking you to be the source of my forgiveness. I need you to forgive me. I don't need to go self-help, read some book, or listen to some motivational speech when I realize that I'm not measuring up. I need to run to your Word, which has the power to find the hidden things in my life. But then he also says a prayer, which is, God, keep me back from presumptuous sins. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty dirty, and I know that I do things sometimes, even when I know they're wrong. God, help me. I'm leaning in. A glimpse of the glory of God seen in creation will make me feel small. Remember the video? When you see the scale of the universe, it's an appropriate response for you to say, ooh, I'm really tiny, right? And that's actually what scientists are actually like arguing against God. They're like, look, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of light years wide. And you're saying that we're just a group of people on a little dot in the sky. There's a bunch of wasted space, right? Wasted space. That's true if you're looking at us. If you're looking at us, you're like, man, that's a lot of space for those little people. But if you reverse that and you start here and you look out and God's inviting you to look at him, That's why it's humorous, because the observable universe, we can't even get far enough to look out. We look out, and we're like, man, this is the right size. And then you read Psalms, like Psalm 103, it says, the high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those that fear him. 
We can't even measure how far that is. We know it's at least a couple hundred thousand light years and more, but his love for us extends as far as the east is from the west. You can't even measure that. I think that's the point. We do have hidden sins. We do have presumptuous sins, but we want to turn to God. His observation leads him to this, but point two, and almost lastly, God's grace reveals his salvation. So God's glory points us to something, but his grace reveals his salvation and calls me to trust in him. He goes on after confessing his sin. He says, I know, in faith, he says, when you do this, I will be blameless. I will be innocent of transgression. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, again, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. <clears throat> this doesn't sound like someone who's been exposed with his guilt and is running away from God. This is someone that is following the natural order of things, realizes who he is, his condition before his holy God, and says, I need help, but I need your help. And I'm leaning in. You are my rock and you are my redeemer. Now, I would fail you as a listener to all of this today if I didn't stop and direct your attention specifically to Jesus. Jesus isn't mentioned here. Psalm 19 is a, is, is a psalm of David and what he's observing in the universe and from the scriptures that he had at the time. But Jesus is the point of the gospel. Jesus is the word of God as we're seeing in John. He is the glory of God. Uh, the radiance of the Father, we sang it earlier, is revealed in the person of Jesus. And we also see in the scriptures in Colossians that everything that was made was made through him and for him. And in John, earlier in John 1 when we covered it, nothing that was made was made without him. The very things that we saw pictures of, those galaxies and stars, guess who made them? Jesus. Guess who came to this earth? We sang it this morning. He left the air of heaven to breathe the dust of earth. He dwelt among the outcasts and the poor. The very God that created the stars in the sky became a man and dwelt among us so that he could be obedient to the law. He could be truly pure, sure, perfect, right, righteous, all the things that the word is. He could prove himself to be the word of God. He could accomplish salvation for those who will trust in him. So the call is the same. When God's world and God's word reveals our sin, let's turn to him. Let's turn to Christ specifically to be saved. He's the better word. He's the bread of heaven. He's the word of life. He's God's glory most revealed in him. In fact, I think this is awesome. In Revelation 1, if you remember, John falls down and sees Jesus in his glorified state, and it says his face is shining like the sun. Okay, again, David just told us, the point of the sun isn't so that we look at the sun and we say, wow, sun, you must be the king here. Everything is like nothing's hidden from your heat and like the plants grow because of you. You're the end of the praise. The praise ends in you. David's like, no, look at the sun. That reminds me of like a guy getting married. He like directly diverts it back to God. You're just used as a tool to reflect God's glory. Well, the sun also is there so that we could be blinded by it so that when we read Revelation 1 and it says Jesus' face was shining like the sun, we have a concept of what that means. Jesus shines brighter. I think there's a hymn that's coming to mind right now that's fairest Lord Jesus that speaks about this. He shines brighter. So get this, and we'll be done. If a glimpse of the glory of God seen in creation makes us feel small, a glimpse of the glory of God seen in his word will lead us to feel sinful. But a glimpse of the grace of God revealed in Jesus should lead us to feel thankful and grateful. Oh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Verse 14. Let the meditation of my heart. This is not Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation, our religions say, hey, empty your mind. Hum, you know, get into a trance. Think outside your head. Christian meditation is the opposite. It's fill your mind with truth. Not empty your head, be open-minded, as society says. Be open-minded. No, the Bible says close your mind. Close it. Know what's true and keep it there. Know what's not good and get it out. Close your mind, right? Meditate and think deeply on these things. So we want to properly meditate and in the right direction. We want to look up, literally, at the sky this week. 
But also maybe you're struggling in your marriage or in your job or in, in, in something that's going on in your life. Look up, there's hope. Look up. There's another psalm that says, I look up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Look up. But we also want to look in. And lastly, we want to lean in. We want to pray for increased affection and adjustment in our perspective of what is truly valuable. So, implication. Am I responding to God's glorious grace by allowing it to move me towards faith-filled surrender? Am I responding to God's glorious grace by allowing it to move me towards faith-filled surrender? He doesn't just want us to surrender. I give up. I'm sinful. Now I need to go find help somewhere. It's faith-filled surrender. So his world, joyful worship. His word, humble dependence. Both working together, faith-filled surrender. He says, my, my Lord, my rock, my redeemer, I will be blameless. Help me, help me. And that is my prayer today. So if you glance back at the top of your notes, you'll see that the summary sentence kind of tried to describe all of that in one place. God has handcrafted his handiworks, his finger works, both the sky above my head and the Bible in my hand. Remember the psalm that says that was his finger works too. To reveal his glory, but then his grace, and to increase my joy. Remember, it's valuable. There's reward, but also to increase my trust in him. I would do well to meditate on both in my daily fight for faith. Maybe you're someone in here this morning that resonates with the Ecclesiastes guy and you're actually lost. You don't know Jesus. And you see stars and you're like, okay. You see the sun, you're like, that's doing its thing. Or maybe you know that you're lost and you see like pictures like that eye and you're like, God, like he created that, but that also produces a sense of like holy reverential fear. I don't know him. If that's you today, Jesus has been provided. The one that made the stars came to die for you so that you could be saved. And you can trust in him. He's calling you to lean into him, to run to him. Like Rahab, when they were coming into Jericho. Hey, we're coming to conquer you. She's like, yeah, can I run towards you and not away from you? Can I run to God? Will he accept me? And she did. And not only was she accepted into some random camp of the Israelites, she becomes like the great, great, great grandmother or whatnot of Jesus. She gets like grafted in to the line of Jesus. God used her. So if you're lost here today, your story's not over. God can use you and change you. His word is effective and perfect to convert your soul. But if you are a Christian here today and you're still just struggling with sin, there's hope to be found. I was in a place last week, even Sunday, struggling with some of my perspectives and have been encouraged by the wisdom provided of Psalm 19, the enlightenment of Psalm 19, the encouragement that's found in here to where I see that, and this is, this is why Peter says in the chapter that we're about to cover, Jesus, where, where, where else would we go? You've got the words of life. So am I responding to God's glorious grace by allowing it to move me towards faith in my fight for faith? So here's your application. I try to be very specific because when you come back to the notes, all of it is application. Adam has taught us well or taught me well through observing him how to structure a sermon, at least in that way. So look up, look in, look, lean in, all application. But here's some specific things. Look up. Don't feel like the need to write all this down. Okay, because you're not going to be able to. I gave you like half a centimeter Okay, on your paper. Look up. Plan something intentional this week to praise God for his world. Okay, I've, I've sat in a chair many times this week watching clouds. And it's actually pretty enjoyable. And you might not believe me, but make the time to do it. Take a walk outside, but leave your phone at home. Or watch the clouds or a sunset. Be intentional about it. So like, definitely look up in our daily walk and be reminded, but make some time. Download the Skyview app, which is awesome. I love going outside at night, especially because that picture showed you how limited our stars are. It kind of helps point me in the right direction. I know Cortland and I, we downloaded the ISS Spotter, which is the International Space Station, and I love going outside and watching that. It'll tell you it's about to pass. You go outside, and sure enough, it's like this star that's just moving. It's bright. Depending on where it is and the angle, there's one coming tomorrow at 10.53 p.m., if I'm not mistaken. Tomorrow night, it's going to be great. There's 67%. I love going out there because I'm out there looking at the stars anyways. You'll see shooting stars. You'll be observing. 
But then I take it as an opportunity to pray for those people. There are people from this planet in a metal thing that's flying around the world every day. It's just crossing over. I pray that they would see God's general revelation, that it would lead them to faith in Christ. In fact, one of the Apollo missions, when they rounded the moon and they looked back at the world, I think it was on Christmas Day, they quoted Genesis from the Apollo. That's impressive. Some of those guys knew who made it. Spend some time on the Hubble website. Maybe you can't go outside. Maybe it doesn't work for you. Go on the Hubble website like I did and just scan through. Look at the things that are not made by human minds, things that are captured by a telescope that God's allowed us to have. Watch planet Earth. I mean, just go watch a show. But with the purpose of thanking God for what you see, when you see the brilliant working, because we're just talking about the sky today. We haven't even talked about the cells in our bodies or the animals or the, the ways in which this world works. Watch planet Earth. Use it to draw your attention to look up. Look in. Look in for six things in your Bible study this week, and then I spell out the word aspect. Okay, so it's obvious implication we need to be in our Bibles, but I'm going to help you. Look for certain things when you spend time this week. Bible reading plan, John 6, reading Psalm 19, whatever. Attributes of God, look for them. When you find them, what should you do with them? Adore them. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Majesty. What is that? God's majesty. Wow. Allow that to move you towards adoration. Look for sins that are listed. When you find them, get rid of them. That's what forsake means. Sins to forsake. Promises. I love this one. Spend time looking for promises. And when you find a promise, what do you do? Claim it and really believe it. Because this is what I tell my kids at school. If God, like, okay, so if you're trusting yourself to him and he lets you down, I know I've said this maybe before even in this context, you will be the first person in human history that he's done so with. He is faithful. He works everything out for the good of his people and for his glory. So if you're like, oh, God's just not going to, he's not going to come through for me. Newsflash, you're not that important to be the only person in the universe that he's let down. There's promises, and so if they're there, claim them and believe them and live by them. Also examples to follow. I see an example in David in Psalm 19 that I've been trying to imitate this week by going outside and making time for these things, sitting out during the rain, just listening. Find an example of Jesus, follow it. Commands, they're very clear. We said here the commandments are clear. When you find them, obey them. And when you struggle to obey them, lean into God. Pray for his help. And lastly, truths to believe. And the last part is lean in. When tempted to despair this week, either because of your sin or your circumstances, instead of listening to yourself, I'd like to challenge you to preach to yourself. So you've got something to do outside. You've got something to do in your Bible. Now I want you to have something to do inside your mind. Because if you're like me, you spend a lot of time in your mind. And a lot of times that focus is inward. Pray through Psalm 42. Jot it down. The psalmist is praying upward, and all of a sudden he looks in. He sees what's going on, and he says, Hey, self, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise him. And then he goes back, and he says some more things. And then he comes back to himself again, only long enough to tell himself to look up. We spend way too much time listening to ourselves. Take the moment this week to preach to yourself instead. No self. Don't go down that train of thought. Hope in God. There's a, there's a song that I love. It's by Shane Shane. It's called Embracing Accusations. I, I, I invite you to look it up and listen to it. It talks about how Satan, that the author is writing, he says, it's like Satan is singing over me this song. Cursed are you. You've gone astray. And then part of the song, he says, you know what? He's right. Hallelujah, he's right. I am cursed, and I am gone astray, and I am needy, and I do need help. But Satan is conveniently leaving out the chorus of this song every single time he sings it. And the chorus, the biggest part of the song, the part that makes me just like lose it, is just two words. Jesus saves. Satan's going to preach to us the song this week, and we're going to listen. And he's going to say things like, you're a failure, and you didn't do well enough, or you don't measure up. Just embrace that and say, you know what? You're right. God's word is clear I don't measure up. But he also invites me to lean in to where I can find forgiveness, 
And that's modeled for me in this. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we end our focused thinking on Psalm 19, that you would uh, do a work in us, God, that you would help us go from looking up at the world around us to looking into your word and treasuring it, God, to leaning in and trusting you when it reveals who we are on the inside. Help us to preach to ourselves. Help us to embrace the gospel this morning. Thank you for Jesus, who's the better word, the better glory. God, we, we want to proclaim that you are great. And so, God, everything that's been done today has just been from an attitude and a desire to point upwards and away from ourselves just long enough for us to be reoriented. So, Father, I pray that people in here today would be reoriented by your word. God, we're thankful, and we pray now that as we respond through this last song, um, that we would be able to uh, just love and adore you for your work in creation and your work through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.